Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Ava Lee, for sharing a little bit of your story with us. Let's pray together. Father God, eternal Son and Holy Spirit, God of eternal Trinity, we thank you for the gift of life that we have exclusively in and through the person, the God-man, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that you give us the privilege and the joy to be able to come together as the bride and the body of Christ, the church, to worship and to celebrate and to praise you, God, for not just the good things that you give us, not for eternal life and salvation, but simply because of who you are, that you alone are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. We pray that your spirit would not only fill our hearts, fill our, fill our fellowship, but also fill this place. And God, that you would be glorified and that hearts, as Avely said, that are stoned this morning, that maybe you would bless them with that transcendent gift of divine faith and that they would go from death to life and you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I want to give you a moment, if you have a Bible with you, and I hope that you do, to open up to Second Peter. It's after the Gospels and after the letters that Paul wrote, Romans and Galatians and all of those. It's after Hebrews, and if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. It's just a few pages. And once you get to Second Peter, chapter 1, I want to ask you to take a moment to read verses 1 through 4. Not together, on your own. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Does that feel weird to you, to read the Bible in church? I hope not. There are some churches, the culture of it, that would be a really strange thing, reading the Bible in church. I think about sometimes our quiet times that we do at home, time that we spend with the Lord reading Scripture, following an annual reading plan, and sometimes, even though we don't want it to be that way, sometimes it just turns into checking off a box on a list. Did you spend time with the Lord today? Oh, yeah, I read. I read. I was talking to someone this week, a friend. I met with, the, I met with them for coffee, and they said that they memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount, the entire Sermon on the Mount. And they said they got to the place where they could recite it to themselves in 14 minutes. And as we continued talking, that person said to me, I don't think Jesus took 14 minutes to preach the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't just stand there and spew words at the end of it. Everybody good? See you later. The reason why I say that this morning is because I think as a culture, not just Christians, but in this day and age, in this world, we've forgotten how to tarry. Some of you younger people don't even know what that word even means, to tarry to pause, to linger. Sometimes when we read God's word, we read through it. I've heard people in the past say, how many times can you read through this passage? 
It only takes 30 or 40 seconds to read through this passage. So read through it 20, 30 times this week. And we substitute quantity and speed for quality. We've forgotten how to tarry. There's a song that was written many years ago by a man, C. Austin Miles. You might not know him, but you might recognize the lyrics of the song in the garden. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And, I, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the song of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I'm his own. And the joy we share when we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none has ever known. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none has ever known. It's not actually true that no one else has ever known that. It's just in that intimate moment with God, the man, C. Austin Miles, when he wrote that, he was thinking to himself, there's no way that anyone else in the world could possibly experience what I'm experiencing in this moment. In God's word, celebrating Christ, reading the truth of his revelation, and how it radically transforms our lives. It's not about speed. It's not about quantity. It's about tarrying. I want to encourage you to do that. And so today, as we hear from God's word, not from Pastor Kevin, from Second Peter 1, 1 through 4, as you read that, I wonder maybe what stood out to you, if anything, or if you just simply followed the directions. The pastor said, read it. I read it. Check. Let's get this over with and go on to Denny's. Last week, verse 1, it begins, Simon Peter, and maybe you just blow right past that, right? You blow right past that. Simon Peter, big deal. Simon Peter introduces himself in this letter that he's writing at the end of his life. Last week, we looked at and read verses 14 and 15. Since I know I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me, And I will also make every effort so that you, church, are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. And as I said last week, if you're having a little deja vu, that's okay. It's okay for me to preach on the same passage on weeks back to back because maybe you didn't hear it last week and maybe you did, but we're going to keep going. Last week we focused on the first part and we're going to keep going. But Simon Peter, and what struck me as I prepared for today is that Simon Peter doesn't just call himself Peter. He says, Simon Peter. And I thought about that, and like I said, it may not seem like that big of a deal. Pastor, you're kind of lingering. You're belaboring this moment and this point. The point is, is that Simon Peter never forgot who he was before Jesus. He didn't just say that old me is gone. 
he introduces himself to these people that he cares about and loves, and he says, I'm Simon Peter. It's kind of like when you think about a before and an after picture, maybe in a fitness magazine, and you see the person that weighed 400 pounds, and now they're a fitness model, and they've got their eight-pack abs, and they're ripped and tan, and wow, before and after. I was looking at pictures this week thinking of before and after, and I saw a picture of a a man who was probably about 30 years old cutting this little boy. He was probably about four or five years old cutting his hair. He's a barber. The little boy was sitting in the barber chair. They took this picture 40 years later, and this old man, same person, cutting this grown man's hair before and after. And I think about Peter and the transformation that God worked and wrought in his life. And we could just tarry there, couldn't we? Simon, Peter. Mm. Before and after, transformed by Jesus. And Peter, as we said last week in our table fellowship time after service, where we just kind of sit and we hang out, About two years ago, we were doing table fellowship, and someone said, Pastor, they raised their hand, Pastor, why do we have to rehash the same thing that you just preached on in table fellowship? Can't we talk about something else? Dead silence. And I was glad to know that I wasn't the only one that felt that way. It was like, you know, in the movies when somebody walks into a a bar or a club and you hear the record, just screech to a stop. Let's just tarry there. His resume that Peter said is that he introduces himself as two things, a doulos in the Greek, a servant. Maybe your translation is a slave. He's a servant, a slave, a doulos, an apostle, a sent one of who? Jesus Christ. Jesus, the word, the name means the Lord saves. Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, it's all the same. Christos, Christ, anointed one. Anointed by whom? By God Almighty. And not just with oil, as King David and the other kings of Israel were. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Peter says, that's who I am. I'm a servant, an apostle, an ambassador, an emissary. If you don't know what those words mean, in politics, someone who's appointed as an ambassador, they'll typically go and live on foreign soil. But wherever they are, if they're in the embassy, that that is actually considered the ground, the property of the country that they're sent from. The U.S. embassy is actual literal U.S. soil. And wherever you go, just as Peter goes to share the gospel, wherever he went, that ground was holy. It was the property of Jesus Christ, the eternal king. That was his resume. He didn't stand there and talk about how many baptisms he'd performed, how big he grew the church, how many books he'd written. He didn't say a bunch of letters at the end of his name. PhD, THM, MD. 
RDD, whatever. He just said, I'm a servant, a doulos, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And as we said last week, he writes to an audience, to those who have received a faith, isotime in the Greek, equally precious, equally valuable. You, the people who are reading this letter, church, you have received a faith that is equally precious as ours. Who's the ours? The super apostles. Paul, Peter, the gospel writers, those men that walked with Jesus on earth, that saw the resurrected king, that watched him ascend to heaven. Just because we saw all of that, Peter says, there's no distinction between the faith that you have, that Christ has given you, and the faith that I have. I don't have a better faith. I don't have a higher quality of faith. It's not a super-duper faith, and you've got the average kind of generic store brand. It's the same faith. It's equally precious. And it's through the righteousness of, do you see that up there? To those through the righteousness of our God and Savior. That's how you got that faith. You got the faith that belongs to you, that equally precious faith through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our best, Isaiah 64, 6, our best is still to this day and until Jesus comes and brings us home, the very best that Kevin Kelly can muster on my own, filthy rags. Filthy rags. And it's only because of Jesus that that changes through his righteousness. Verse 2, Peter goes on to say, grace to you. I love the simplicity of it. I love the simplicity of Peter's writings. Paul sometimes can go on with these run-on sentences, and when I was taking Greek in grad school, and they would have us diagram these sentences that would go on for four, five, six pages with slashes and dashes and lines, and I was lost. I couldn't diagram a sentence in English, and then they expected me to do it in Greek. I was lost. I love Peter. He says, grace to you. Why grace? The exercise at the beginning to read through those four verses, where did you tarry and stop? Digitarian stop. Hmm. I wonder what he meant by that. I wonder why he repeats that word. Wow. Grace to you. Y'all realize that grace is better than mercy? Grace is better than mercy. See, because mercy is quite simply not getting what we deserve. God could have simply said, I'm going to show mercy to all of you. I'm going to show you mercy, and I'm not going to send you to hell for all eternity. Well, where are we going to go? If we're not going to hell, but he's not giving us his grace, and we're not in heaven together with Jesus, I don't know, but I saved you from hell. See, the reality is, is that if we're not where Jesus is, that's hell. I want to be where Jesus is. 
See, what he's doing is he's doing a work in order to not just restore Eden, but to trump that, to make it even better. He's given us his grace. Not just not getting what we deserve, but getting the stuff that we don't. I was talking to one of my kids this week, and I said, what did you do to make your birthday happen? They looked at me, nothing. We didn't get into all of the biology, and I won't this morning. I'll spare you of that. But you do absolutely nothing, but yet on our birthday, we kind of walk around with a little bit of swag, don't we? Did y'all get me anything for my birthday, or did y'all just show up this morning? You didn't know? Well, you should have. It's my birthday. Today's my birthday, Winston. It's my birthday. What are y'all going to bring me? And we walk around like that when we're little kids. You know, it's my party. And Janie, you're going to sit over here because it's my party. And Jack, I want you to sit over here because it's my party. What did you do? Time went on. You got older. It's another day. It's a celebration. And we think, man, I really did something. What'd you do? Nothing. You did absolutely nothing. And the fact that your mom and dad love you enough the fact that people love you enough to give you a card. I remember being a little kid, and it was like when I'd open up a birthday card. I didn't really read it. I just shook it to see what fell out. If it had some green paper, that was good. If it didn't, on to the next one. Save your sentiment. Show me the money, right? Grace is so much better than just mercy. Jesus not only took the punishment our sin demands, but... He doesn't just give us grace. He gives us his perfect righteousness. See, grace isn't just a thing, like a table or a pair of shoes or a watch. Grace is a person. Grace is a person. Jesus gave us himself. Verse 2, peace, grace to you. Some translations say grace and peace to you. But really, in the Greek, the way that it reads, he's saying grace to you. And see, when we realize grace, the byproduct of it is peace. And we think, what's the big deal? Peace be plethorized. That's where we get the word in English, plethora. Your translation probably reads something like multiplied. But it's plethorized. And it's not just that you add one plus one plus one plus one. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what Peter's talking about. If you're a math person, and I'm not going to go too far into this, it's shaky ground for me. I'll defer to John. John, help me out if I get this wrong. But multiplied exponentially. See, the longer we tarry in God's goodness and his grace, peace is multiplied exponentially. Is that true in your life? I wonder. In the world, there's this thing called the law of diminishing returns. You keep adding something to something, and at some point, it's like a football team. You got 12 guys on the field. Did I get that right? 12 guys on the field. Is it 11? I'm thinking about Texas A&M, you know, the 12th man. 
You got 11 guys on the field, and then when you add the 12th one, if they go on the field, the law of diminishing return, you get a penalty. I knew there was a 12 in there somewhere. You can see how much time I spend watching sports nowadays. It's like that 12th person goes out there, there's a law of diminishing returns. It's not better. It's not good. But in Christ, it just keeps getting better. There are no diminishing returns. Reality. Grace to you and peace be plethorized through the, your translation may read knowledge, through the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. But it's not just knowledge. It's a horrible translation. It's a, it's a terrible way to interpret that word. See, knowledge is gnosis, and this is epigenosis. As I shared last week, it's on top of knowledge. Knowledge sometimes, especially in the Greek and the New Testament, it's not like in Hebrew where knowledge was something that was above and beyond. In the Greek, that idea of knowledge, oftentimes it's like, oh, I know something. Connor's fascinated with sea turtles and ocean animals right now. He's got a lot of books about them. He's got a lot of knowledge about oceanography and ocean animals. But you know what? That's not epigenosis. It's merely knowledge. Have you ever held a sea turtle? Nope. Have you ever swam with a sea turtle? Nope. There are people who have, that have actually rescued them and cared for them and taken care of them. And then it goes beyond just gnosis and it becomes epigenosis. It becomes reality. I know what a sea turtle smells like. I know what it feels like to hold one, their hard shell and their softer belly. I know what it feels like when one bites my finger. Epigenosis, it's reality. And see, this isn't just knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. It's epigenosis, it's reality. Peace is plethorized. It's multiplied exceedingly through the epigenosis, the reality Back to the who. It points to the who. I want to point out something as we transition to 3A. Is that between power, is that we have reality two times, epigenosis. As I was preparing it this week, I guess I was hungry when I was thinking about this part, and all I could think of was a power sandwich. A power sandwich. See, there's the stuff in the middle You don't refer to the sandwich as what the bread is, right? You don't say I'm having a sourdough sandwich, right? That may be the bread that you're serving it on. You talk about the stuff that's, I'm having a turkey, avocado, bacon, club sandwich. That's what I'm having, and it's on sourdough or whatever your favorite bread is, or maybe whatever's available in the pantry, This is a power sandwich because in the middle, the good stuff, that divine power that God has given us for everything that we need, on either side of it is that word epigenosis, reality. It's a power sandwich served up on reality. Matthew 6, Jesus talks about this idea because Peter, remember, Simon Peter is telling us that when we abide in the grace of God, that peace that is exceedingly multiplied in our life and becomes this power sandwich in and through Christ Jesus, that we don't have to worry about anything. How much time did you spend worrying this week? 
we're in church. You can't lie. The right answer is, I didn't worry about anything. That's the church answer. Jesus, I didn't worry about anything. That would be a sin. It's also a sin to lie. How much time did you spend worrying about how you're going to pay your bills? About where you're going to move? How you're going to get everything out of the attic and without hurting your back? About where you're going to go for your birthday? Oh, wait, we're talking about something else. In Matthew 6, verses 24 through 34, this is Jesus talking, and he said, No one can serve two masters, but yet we do. We think that we can. We think that we can abide in the world. We think that we can follow all of the patterns in the stoichion, the elemental stuff of the world. We think that we can do exactly the same thing as the people who are our neighbors that are lost. That we go to work eight to five, we plan our vacations, and we do all the same stuff. Are we truly being ambassadors and emissaries of Christ? Are we? Jesus says that you can't serve two masters. You can't. See, because when you do, Jesus says you're either going to hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, the stuff of the world, not just money, the stuff, the idols. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but Jesus goes on to say, don't worry about your life, about what you eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus said. They don't worry about anything, yet God takes care of them. He goes on to say, why worry about your clothes? The lilies of the field are dressed even more splendidly than Solomon. God loves us more than he loves birds and flowers. We're the pinnacle of God's creation, his poema, his workmanship. Therefore, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink Because the Gentiles, those who don't know Christ, strive after all those things. And in verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So then why? Why? Why do we, Pastor Kevin not excluded, why do we chase after the things of the world? Why do we worry? Why do we even still worry about righteousness? See, because this is prior to Jesus going to the cross. This is prior to Jesus dying, a literal physical death. I've heard people before say, Jesus couldn't have died. God can't die. If Jesus didn't die, we're in a lot of trouble, folks. If it wasn't a literal physical death, we're doomed. He died. He went to the tomb. He rose again. Amen? And then he ascended to heaven and he said, I'm coming back. And between this time and that time, what are you going to do with the gift that I've given you? The righteousness, the faith that's the same as Peter, the same as Paul, the same as David, the same as Noah, the same as Abraham, the same. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? There's a power sandwich that we get 
that righteousness is now ours through the reality of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Jesus called us, past tense. We're tarrying a little bit. Jesus called us. Jesus called us, past tense. He's not waiting to call you. This isn't the Bush League minors. Poetry Baptist Church, we're in the minor leagues. Man, maybe when we get up to First Baptist Dallas, then we're kind of moving up. And then maybe if Dr. Jeffress recognizes you one day, then you're going to go up. This is the major leagues. We're in the, we're in the big time. We've made it. If you've been given the gift of faith, you're there. Jesus called you. You've been blessed with the righteousness, the gift of faith that's the same as isotime. What are you doing with it? Jesus called you, calls us by his own glory and excellence. But many of us, what we do is we say, I asked Jesus into my heart. I'm saved. And that becomes the terminus, the end point, the cul-de-sac of our relationship with God. What are you doing with it? Nothing. Why do I need to do anything with it? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm good. You worry about you, I'll worry about me. You don't find that anywhere in here. Peter is writing this letter because he's finally gotten it. He's no longer the Peter who feels like a superhero. Jesus, stand behind me. I'll protect you. You realize that Jesus doesn't need us to do anything. Say that with me. Jesus doesn't need us to do anything. Everything that we get to do is a privilege. We've been called by the king of eternity. Emissaries and ambassadors. What have we been called to? How have we been called? Verse 4. Through these, the promises, he has given us, through that glory and excellence, he's given us his precious and magnificent promises. What are those promises? I was talking with Connor this week, and I said, what are some promises that you can think of in the Bible? And he thought of Noah. Well, God promised that he would never flood the earth again. I said, that's a promise. There are covenants that God has made. But in Christ... Jesus said, and when we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, Jesus says, this is the new and everlasting covenant. He's got a promise that supersedes, that's exceedingly greater than all of those put together. It includes them, all of those promises, but Jesus is that greater covenant promise. Called to transformation. Have you been called to transformation? If you have the righteousness of Christ, then you have. What are you doing about it? Have you been called to servanthood? What are you doing about it? You've been called by faith, not just through grace, but to grace. Are you someone who's actually received the grace of God? Have you? Maybe you're just hearing the words coming out of my mouth, but you're not actually abiding in them. 
Can we turn the AC up? It seems like it's getting warm in here. You guys look like you're starting to, feels like the heater's on in here. Maybe it's just me. Starting to see some eyes. We've been called to grace. We've been called to grace. Do you demonstrate it? Do you demonstrate it to the people in your family? To the people in your church? To the people out in the world? Sometimes we're merciful, sometimes. The person that cuts you off in traffic is a great example. How do you respond? How do you respond? Do you respond in grace? See, grace is giving someone something that they don't deserve. A birthday is a great example. I'm getting gifts and lavished with gifts today and people asking me, how can I pray for you? And my wife was asking me this week, what can I do for you? Is there anything that you want for your birthday? Because of what? I got a year older. I know it takes a little bit of the mystique out of birthdays, but I've done nothing. That's grace. As a church and as a people, do we demonstrate that through the righteousness, providing perfect peace, resulting in divine power sandwich served up between two slices of reality? We're called. Called to what? What have you been called to? What have you been called to? Peter tells us. 4B, we've been called to become partners, partakers, participants, companions in the divine nature. You become partners in the divine nature, having escaped the rot in the world. So often I talk to people who are Christians and they just can't absorb that. They just can't absorb the fact that in the righteousness of Christ, you have truly escaped the rot of the world. You may choose to go back into that prison. You may choose it, say, oh, I just can't shake that sin. I'm still thinking about these things. I still have this addiction that's drawing me in. I still have that, and it's impossible See, because what God says in and through the word is that you have escaped. Say it with me. You have escaped. That is our reality. And if you feel like you have not escaped, then you are not abiding in the grace and the peace and the righteousness of Christ. You have been called to become partakers. Are you? Have you realized the grace that God is showering upon you, his extravagant love? Or are you simply stuck over here saying, I'm just trying to fight my demons? Stop trying to fight your demons. Stop. You don't have to fight them anymore. You have escaped in Christ. Amen? I think maybe y'all are sleeping this morning. You have escaped the rot of the world. Amen. And it is sourced in carnality. 
Maybe your Bible translation reads in desires, or maybe even better because it's singular. It's not desires. It could be desire, but really the understanding is is it's sourced in our flesh, in our carnality. Are the things that you spend marinating upon, the things that consume your thoughts and your mind, the things of the world, or are they the things above? Jesus, I want to be a part of your mission. And he says, you become a partaker in the divine nature. Oftentimes I hear people in Christian circles and in churches, they say, I'm not sure if I've been called to ministry. Are you a Christian? Have you been born again by faith? Then you have been called to ministry. There is no doubt. People oftentimes come up to me, Pastor, would it be okay if I do this thing? I feel like God is like, it would be a sin if you didn't. I'm not the gatekeeper. Would it be okay if I started a Bible study at my house? Why do you want to do that? Because I just feel like the Lord is put. Well, then far be it for me to get in the way of the Holy Spirit. I'm not the gatekeeper. Now, if you come in here and you say, I feel like the Lord has said I'm supposed to paint the bathrooms hot pink, we're going to have a conversation. Because I really don't think God laid that on your heart. Maybe he did, but we're still going to have a conversation about it. Are you a partaker? Have you become a partner, a participant in the divine nature, members of the bride and the body of Christ? See, it doesn't happen out there in the world as lone rangers. It doesn't. It happens exclusively as members of the bride and the body, the church. Oftentimes people say, well, I don't like the church. It's full of hypocrites. Welcome to the club. Because you're one of them too. Because scripture says, do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So what part of hypocrite do you not understand? Come join us. We're not going to be perfectly refined by the refiner's fire until we get into his presence. I have a slide up here. Maybe you're wondering what all of this means. What does it look like in my life, Pastor? And I'm going to give you just a moment to read through that. What is Peter talking about? What Peter's talking about is that when you become a partaker in the divine nature, when you realize that your faith is isotime, it's equally valuable and precious as the super apostles, the heroes of faith of Scripture, what is it that I do? What does my life look like? It looks like this. We become partners in divine nature, gospelizing gospelizers who gospelize the gospel and gospel community. I'm going to say it one more time. When we become partakers in the divine nature, what we do is we're gospelizing gospelizers who gospelize the gospel in gospel community. And if any part of that is missing in your life, then you are not partaking in the divine nature. And today you have an opportunity, as Ava Lee shared her testimony, I thought I was doing some good things. I was being a nice person. But then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I realized that he blessed me with the gift of faith through grace. Not a thing, but a person, Jesus Christ and his righteousness. 
And it compelled me to go on to becoming a gospelizer of the gospel, sharing the gospel in gospel community. Are you doing that? If you wonder what the gospel is, see, because it makes it very difficult. How am I going to gospelize the gospel in gospel community if I don't know what the gospel is? Paul made it really simple in 2 Timothy 2.8. He said, remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. Don't overcomplicate it, folks. You don't have to have a PhD in apologetics to go and tell someone that Jesus is king and he loves you. You don't have to have a PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary or any other seminary. Well, I wasn't really called to that. Are you a partaker in the divine nature? If you are, then you gospelize the gospel in gospel community. And that reality, what it causes us is that we've escaped. We've escaped the rot of the world, the carnality. If you want to know what that looks like, I'm not going to go through it up here today, but you can open up your Bibles to Galatians 5, and you can look when Paul writes about the difference between the acts of the flesh and the acts of the Spirit, the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This morning, as I stood up in the baptistry, and we baptized those two little kids who said that they were devoting their lives to Jesus, we read a scripture verse, Psalm 37, 4, which is really precious to me because my wife had something inscribed on the inside of my wedding band. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will accomplish the desires of your heart. That's not prosperity gospel. That doesn't mean that Jesus is going to give you the Bugatti that you've been praying for. The $10,000 house, the 500% raise at work, it means that it exchanges all of that mammon, all of that stoichion, all of the stuff of the world that you become someone who wants to be where Jesus is. I want to glorify you, God. I want to do your will. I want to become a partaker in the divine nature. And the inside of my wedding band says, and he did. My wife gave me that ring to say that you're part of God's blessing. Today, as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about, to tarry just a bit, Oftentimes we put up the Lord's Supper and there's a picture of the bread and the wine. And I picked this picture specifically because I want you to think about walking with Jesus, about becoming a partaker in the divine nature. He's not going to be physically present. We can't see him, but he walks with us and he talks with us and he tells us that we're his very own. And if we tarry there, the joy that we will experience in our lives is because of his grace and peace 
will be plethorized. It will be multiplied exceedingly. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the gift of today, that you even allow us to be able to tarry in your word and in your presence, that you teach us through the power of your spirit, the parakletos, the comforter, the counselor, and that you call us to become emissaries, ambassadors of your goodness, of your grace, and your gospel, that you are king, and there's power there unto salvation for everyone believing. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment, and there are some bowls underneath the ends of your pews with communion cups in them. But if you need to respond before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this is your opportunity. You can come forward. You don't have to wait and delay like Ava Lee said, that there was that week where I knew that the Holy Spirit was calling and prompting, but I was embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. The stuff of the world is foolishness. So however it is that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning, maybe it's to pray, maybe it's to say, Pastor, I need to be baptized. Whatever it is, I encourage you to come this morning. We'll give you just a few moments to to come and to pray, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus sat there with his friends on the night of the Passover, that Jewish celebration of their deliverance from Egypt. And when he sat with his friends, he broke bread with them, not to implement or institute a religious ceremony, but just simply to tell his friends how much he loved them. And he took the bread and he broke it, and he passed it to his friends, and he says, This is my body. It's been given up for you. So when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. When the supper was finished, Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his friends and he said, this is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. My blood is about to be shed for you and for all so that your sins may be forgiven so when you do this do it in remembrance of me thank you Jesus
and it's the sending out. And I think after you've read and heard me preach on Second Peter a couple of weeks in a row, I pray that you would feel empowered and encouraged as divine partakers or partakers in the divine nature. I'm going to edit that part out that I made a mistake. That you become partakers in the divine nature. That we go forth from this place. We said it many times. If it just stays in here, it's seed that's falling on hard packed soil. Go and live it out. Be emissaries and ambassadors. Wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes with you. He reigns in your heart. It becomes holy ground. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand and we'll close in song. Turn.